Hello, dear listeners. Welcome to Semaphore Uncut, a podcast for developers about building great products. In this new episode, Darko, the podcast host, welcomes Peter Zaitsev, founder at Percona and author. Peter sheds light on the complex terrain of open source, the evolving software development landscape, and the implications for developers and businesses alike. I hope you enjoy this new episode. Now let's dive in. Hello, everyone. My name is uh, Peter Zaitsev, and I'm uh, a founder and until recently CEO of uh, Percona, the company which uh, helps people to be successful with uh, open source uh, databases. Besides Percona, in my entrepreneurial journey, I have uh, participated as a founder, investor, advisor in a number of other open source uh, companies. And uh, really, I am very much uh, passionate about the helping the open source founders, especially technical founders, to really be successful with uh, open source based businesses. We have recently launched a CICD learning tool, which shortcuts into everything you need to know to level up your CICD process and increase your productivity. Also, to ensure that all our customers get the best CICD guidance, we have improved our signup process. From now on, Everyone who's considering using Semaphore will get personalized CICD expert guidance from day one. Our engineers have more than 10 years of experience, so you'll surely be in good hands. Check it out on our website, semaphoreci.com. For folks that might know that don't know Percona like in detail, can you give us like an introduction on the company and what you guys focusing on, who are you helping and so on? At Percona, we started first as uh, the company which was consulting in the MySQL space, especially helping people to run database successfully, get a top performance, have ability and so on and so forth, right? Over time, we branched out. So now we also cover MongoDB and uh, Postgres and large chunk of our business would be as uh, support to help people who, who need help uh, running open source uh, databases and uh, also manage services. We also build a variety of uh, open source software. We have our own, you can think about like a forks, right, extended versions of MySQL, MongoDB and uh, Postgres, which is focused as uh, on adding the features uh, enterprises need, right, you know, uh, beefing up security, performance and some other things while keeping things open source and well, source available, right, for MongoDB to be to be specific. As well as we have solutions to run database on Kubernetes, we have uh, monitoring software, software which monitor, uh, which uh, optimizes um, management, right? Basically, everything you need to run a database successfully. Amazing. I'll just like also to add that you guys are a bootstrap company, which is amazing. So, congrats getting that far. Yeah, see, I think uh, uh, that has been uh, interesting. I think relatively few companies in tech space, uh, <laughs> right, have uh, been uh, doing so and uh, yeah for so long and reach our scale. How do you guys describe your your ideal customer and who who are you mainly working with? Let me mention some some history here, right? I think uh, that is uh, uh, for also like important uh, lesson in how markets change over time. Back in 2006, there was no like cloud databases, databases as service, right, whatever. Like typically, if you needed a database, you had to set it up yourself. And a lot of our uh, customers were those relatively small shops. And have a lot of small customers, uh, you know, small deals, you know. And obviously, all of that changed. Now, I wouldn't even recommend a small business to go to us if you need just, you know, a small, highly available database. 
Why, right? I mean, you can go to Amazon, right? Or frankly, right now, database as a service become ubiquitous, right? You can one get them from DigitalOcean, from Linode, right? You know, pretty much anywhere, right? For a few tens of dollars a month, right? And if you have a relatively small environment, right? Then that is going to be good enough, right? But if you also think about that, where uh, there are a lot of very large environments out there, Right, we often uh, speak about you know large databases, large uh, fleets of servers, uh, right? And those companies typically have a, a special needs, right? And that is where gradually their corner customers have moved, right? And uh, we cover some customers uh, in the cloud because again, like like if you are running uh, let's say a thousand nodes, and even if you choose to run that on Amazon RDS, it will be very stupid for you to just scale by credit card. A scaling by credit card, that is a preferred way by the cloud vendors for you to scale, right? Because that helps their revenue, right? But at the same time, there is a lot of efficiency, right, which you can get. Now, there is also something interesting thing if you look at the cloud space is something called shared responsibility. Who is responsible for performance? Shared responsibility. Who is responsible for your security? It is shared responsibility, right? Well, and that is where you actually need an expert if you don't have an expert in-house. And that is where your corner also can bring it kind of level up, right? Well, how can you go from that uh, shared responsibility to extreme ownership? I don't want a partner or many large companies don't want a partner to say, hey, you know what? Well, they are kind of fucked, but that's shared responsibility. They want to ensure, right? Somebody says, hey, we will make sure to go all the way needed, right? To prevent those problems from happening, right? And that is what Percona does. And this is another, I would think, interesting, maybe a lesson for me, kind of looking from a smaller companies to the larger companies, right? In a lot of smaller companies, you have often, I would say, like with technical problems, Right. Or maybe that's not just like a technical problem. So that's like a financial problem. Say we don't have resources to do use that. Right. In a lot of larger companies, problem becomes kind of organizational problems. Right. Hey, you know what? Well, we have uh, no other technical problem exists. We may have resources to do that, but actually we have a lot of organizational politics and all the other crap which prevents us from achieving those, right? And that is also something that, which I think is very important in what we help organizations to deal with. Thanks for sharing that level of insight. It actually very, very closely aligns also with our business. You start and then you serve a certain customer base at a certain point of time that allows you to grow into something bigger and essentially switch your target market. And in terms of other services that you provide, you, you guys at, at Percona now also have like a service where you are hosting database for other people. Have I grasped that correctly? Or Well, uh, so what you have uh, uh, right now, right, you have a managed services, uh, right, where we are responsible for databases, uh, right, for uh, other people. But uh, we uh, do that in a, in a customer's environment. Right. And I think that is uh, like one of the key differentiators, right, compared to, I would say, like many cloud vendors out there. And you mentioned that one of the things that you, you're focusing on, helping other technical founders, co-founders, you know, achieve success in the entrepreneurial space. Has that always been part of, you know, what you have been doing or that's kind of as you and the company and everything matured that came? Well, I think that's, uh, that uh, came later. And I think that is also connects to my path, right? Because uh, my background is uh, I'm engineer, right? I has been uh, working as engineer in uh, MySQL AB before starting Percona, right? And I remember, uh, you know, some of his general ideas, right, we as engineers shared, 
right? I remember thinking about, uh, let's say, hey, you know what? If you have this, you know, wonderful code you write, right? Then they will come and, you know, discover and love you, right? And that defines success, right? Or another thing I also remember, we had this idea about like a salespeople. Say, well, you know, look at that. Those uh, people, they do like uh, absolutely nothing. It's us who write all the codes, support the customers, right? And they do absolutely nothing. And then they get those, you know, like uh, a lot of money paid, <laughs> right? Like uh, you uh, you may be thinking, right? But then as I transitioned to a business side, right? And then, you know, uh, had been growing business uh, over a few years, right? And also networking with other entrepreneurs, right? You do that. You understand, well, a lot of those things, well, they're not exactly that. And I think for uh, many technical co-founders, right? Uh, or technical founders, especially in the open source space, right? Because I think open source kind of uh, attracts a lot of kind of, you know, idealistic people, right? Or a lot of people who are kind of loners, right? I mean, like, hey, you know, what? in open source space, you can just, you know, go and write this stuff and only kind of, you know, interact with people over, you know, email, right? And never ever have to talk to, to anyone, right? For them, uh, there is a lot of learning needed to see, hey, how can you take that the next step if you not, uh, if you want your open source project to be actually successful, right? Not just used by a few folks, right? Or how to grow that maybe to a business. And uh, that is what I was uh, find what something I can uh, uh, be of unique help because on one extent, uh, I think I reasonably understand business by now, but at the same time, I understand them as well. I've kind of uh, been there and kind of, you know, like a part of me still kind of, you know, would prefer what I would be in that world where the best products always win, right? And yeah. Potentially highly technical folks would um, find themselves better in B2B area than maybe in B2C. My, my experience is that in B2B sales process, there are kind of a lot of checkboxes that need to be ticked and the process is more science-driven. I think uh, it, is, uh, it is questionable. B2B sales, right? Especially if you go out and say, hey, you know, that is like an enterprise sales. Right, you have a lot of that. Hey, well, there is a contract, and we don't like don't like clause seventeen, right? Well, what about this and that, right? You get a lot of that, uh, you know, dumb, uh, uh, you know, paperwork to deal with, right? You need to do kind of you know negotiate, and especially at the larger larger enterprise scale, right? In this case, and I think there's also like I think this uh, mix. Right, because when you speak about B two B, right, you can think like, hey, B two B, which is uh, based on uh, their, uh, you know, like a product based sales, right, especially initially, right, versus like a enterprise sales, right. I think a very good example is Atlassian, right, who has been, uh, you know, obviously B two B thing, right. If you just, you know, at home, you don't need Atlassian, but they focused on selling for website to engineers, you know, one by one and growing that. And I think only when they have been massive added the sales team in this case. And I think that is a path for a lot of technologists uh, is a good one, right? Because I think for technologists, it's much easier to say, well, you know what, I can figure out how those new marketing platforms work, right? How do I set up, let's say, a sequence of emails to be sent, right? Rather than to say, well, I, and now I have to get that message to figure out how to work with your purchasing departments and then make sure I can pacify that, you know, compliance team and security team and large enterprise and so on and so forth. We have recently launched a CICD learning tool, which shortcuts into everything you need to know to level up your CICD process and increase your productivity. Also, to ensure that all our customers get the best CICD guidance, 
we've improved our sign-up process. From now on, everyone who's considering using Semaphore will get personalized CICD expert guidance from day one. Our engineers have more than 10 years of experience, so you'll surely be in good hands. Check it out on our website, semaphoreci.com. How do you see open source as a way to, to, to go to market strategy and so on? How do you that space and maybe the evolution in that space? Because it seems that it, it now became pretty drastically. Yes, yes. Saturated to some extent, yeah. Well, uh, early on, uh, of course, open source was what I would call like uh, romantic open source. Hey, you know, we all would go, go to open source space to change the world, make things better, right? In many cases, uh, it was not really about money. As uh, open source accumulated some successes, right? It's like, oh, wow, that is something you can, you know, now raise money and uh, go ahead and that can be valuable after its business first. The interesting thing about the open source, right, I think like a, you know, problematic to a certain extent, right? It is, uh, was initially, you know, so open and so uh, like anti-authoritarian, right? If you look, there was never open source trademark filed. So you know what? That means you can call anything open source. There is nobody can say, no, 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 it's, uh, uh, you are not really like a certified yada, yada, right? Because nobody has uh, like really ownership of that trademark. And that creates, uh, I think, a, a problem. Even more so, we, I think we have an increasing idea of, of playing with words, right? We can say, on one extent, I want to have my proprietary software, especially like an adventure-finded space. So I can build a you know, big moat about it, protect my IP, and all those kind of words you're going to be saying to your investors how they're going to make a lot of money. At the same time, as you, you kind of change, and when you tell your community and customers something like, oh, it is kind of open source, and you sort of get the all the benefits of open source. And sometimes people don't even use the open source. You know, think about the Elastic. When they ditched open source license, they're calling that doubling down on open. You know, come on, right? Like, I mean, that is like a so stinking obvious way to attempt to mislead your community, right? In this case. Or you can talk about the cloud vendors who are just saying, hey, you know what? Our software is open source compatible. Oh, it is based on open source, right? Well, okay, well, uh, wonderful, right? Like uh, all what you are trying to do is to make people think it's something like open source, right? And I think I have a problem it connects in this case, like all development, right? You know, think about how their engineers, right? Or anyway, people involved in, you know, software uh, tech evolved. If you think about like a 20 years ago, right, or something, well, you really had people who, you know, were like really passionate about software engineering growing through that. In many cases, you would have like a formal computer science degree, right, where, you know, or math degree or something. These are people who really understand technology very deeply. Now, well... A, we need a lot of software engineers. B, we have a lot of simple code uh, tools, you know, like languages like JavaScript, no code or low code frameworks, right? And many developers, they came into that uh, ecosystem, right, from two weeks or two months, uh, you know, boot camps. They don't really have that sort of like a deep level of understanding, hey, what open source is, the licenses, dependencies, what is like a distribution and so on and so forth, right? And they are actually more gullible. It 
is easier to tweak them with that stuff. Oh, I heard open source is great. That means open source compatible is good. No, that's poison. In that realm, I would like to continue. You mentioned big vendors, and you also mentioned people who are who just arrived into our industry. It can be even you know two or three years, but there is just so much of history which which is missing. I mean, I remember late '90s and Microsoft, and you know they were like 100% against open source. And now, like in 2020, I think that there are many generations now of developers who have no no context of Microsoft as an organization and the relationship to open source and, and all of that. I would not uh, think about uh, Microsoft as this kind of romantic open source company who wants to make a world better through uh, the open source software, yeah, right? Th- that was my point. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, it, it is not that, right? I think if you look at this case, you know, like, like there is a saying, like, well, keep your friends close and enemies closer. How we can embrace uh, the software, make it our own, kind of, you know, make sure people don't embrace open source community at large, but they get into that open source-ish Microsoft world garden. Right now, we often use the same words to call them. Right, you may have some people saying, "Oh, this is like a com- community open source versus, let's say, like a non-commercial open source." But very few people make that uh, make that distinctions. While while I think that is that is really really important, right? And again, I'm hoping what we will get more of that, uh, you know, terminology and uh, uh, organizations. Those uh, venture-funded, big vendor, commercial open source, they have a lot of money. They can buy a lot of influence. They can, you know, sponsor a lot of stuff as long as you can uh, uh, play their tune, right? And then if you look at that, uh, like, non-commercial open source, right, well, it doesn't have the same resources, right? And yes, so you can look at a lot of people being, you know, seduced or at least uh, uh, conflicted about Right. Especially as I think as the people get older, often their priorities change. Money starts to play a more significant role in your life, right? And uh, in your life, and that is how people's position also can be changed. It seems that in the beginning, maybe 2010 or so, there were like many, many small software vendors spawning in that realm of like, you know, SaaS services and all of that. And it feels that now that we are in the stage of like things just, you know, melting together and becoming bigger. How do you say, see that? You you are in the industry for 20 years or more. How do you see that cycle and where we are right now? I think what is interesting in this case is also a lot of uh, regional variety. In US, often you'll just say, hey, you know, we just uh, go over cloud, right? And uh, and whatever, right? And there is a lot of reasons about that, right? Because like, for example, in the US, uh, you have like uh, engineers are very expensive, Trust to cloud is kind of high because um, uh, those are US-based uh, companies, right, and so on and so forth, right? Now, if you go to uh, Europe, right, I see a lot more kind of conservative approach in many cases. Hey, you know what? Do we really want to uh, s- uh, trust completely to those kind of American clouds, which will have like a, you know, like a kill switch, right? And you know what? You never know uh, who actually gets access to see our uh, data. I think another thing in, in this case, I think what recently happened is in the US especially, right? There is this very big focus on uh, venture capital, right? Which was like, hey, get rich quick thing. Instead of working, you know, for uh, for a decade, right? As, you know, bootstrapping company takes, why don't you just, you know, load up a lot of capital, deal with or whatever, right? And if you're lucky, you will grow very quick, very fast. Well, 
most likely you will be forced to abandon your open source commitments in that time because guess what? When you're taking venture capital, is you uh, you are committing first and foremost for growth. That is how those VC companies are evaluated. Wherever they tell, right, uh, where uh, we made the world better is not really how the portfolio is evaluated by pension funds, right, and whatever. You know, look, you don't provide us return, uh, you're out, right? And uh, being a you know, good citizen and making the world better, if you can achieve that as well, that's kind of good, right? We can put it on a website and say we only invest in a, you know, in a good company's good funds, right? But you need returns first and foremost. And I think in Europe and some other countries, right, maybe people may not really be so addicted to that, you know, get rich thing idea. Uh, you mentioned that you are involved in your know, other businesses, although Percona is your, your, your main business. Can you give us a glimpse of that and how we can find more about it? There is a little company I started called uh, uh, Renegade Underdogs, right, through which I do some consulting advisory, right, for tech startups, right, if that's something you're interested in. Uh, you know, you can uh, look it up. I also, for years, involved in a number of um, other open source uh, uh, projects. Uh, one of the recent companies I helped to co-found is called uh, FerrotDB. We are uh, building a fully open source alternative to MongoDB, which, as some of you may know, has, you know, a few years ago changed the license to non, uh, non-open source. Another company involved in uh, is called uh, uh, Altinity. It is uh, building solutions for open source uh, analytics. So uh, yeah, that is also a company you may want to uh, look up if you are interested in, in that space. Peter, thank you so much for your time. It was great talking to you. Okay, well, uh, thank you. What a great conversation. We hope you enjoyed it and learned something new. Make sure to subscribe to Semaphore Uncut on your podcast player of choice so that you don't miss our new episodes. And stay tuned. 